David, a man after God's own heart, sometimes uh, maybe you have thought that in order to be a person after God's own heart, you have to be this perfect person. And that you couldn't even receive that kind of title until you've reached this certain uh, place in your life where somebody can say, wow, you're, you're almost perfect. You're so good in every way. David was a man after God's own heart, and yet David as well was a man who disobeyed God from time to time and committed some pretty big sins. And last week when we looked at 2 Samuel 11, we were reminded that he was a man, right, his sins stacked up against him. Murderer, adulterer, liar, coveting. And David chose to keep it a secret. Remember, concealing his sin? And David kind of thought in the end of 2 Samuel 11 that he got away with it. Just like we think sometimes when we sin that whether we're a boy or a girl or an adult, boy, if I just hope enough time passes, it'll be forgotten. And I kind of got away with it. In between 2 Samuel 11 and 12, and by the way, 2 Samuel 12 is found on page 440 in the Bible in front of you if you want to follow a year has passed now. And, and first when I kind of start reading this chapter 12, like why did God wait for a year? A year passes. And I could just begin to imagine the, the weight of guilt that David was still carrying with him. Because he had hid this sin. You see, because when you sin and, and you have guilt because of that, if you haven't confessed it, there's this weight that goes on your shoulders and your heart and your mind. And you carry that with you. You know what I'm talking about. You've been there and done that. And maybe somebody's still doing that today. For a year, David carried this weight of sin. And still thinking that he wouldn't have to deal with it again. But after a year, uh, it was time for God to confront David. God gave him plenty of time to come to him. But because of the loving kindness of God and the mercy of God, as we just sang about, we read that when we don't come to him, he's going to come after us because he loves us so much and he doesn't want us to let go of him. And because he has this relationship called the covenant with us that even though you will fail me, I will not ever fail you. And as we turn to 2 Samuel 12 this morning. That's exactly what we're going to find as God now, a year later after David committed these grievous sins, he sends the prophet Nathan to him to confront David, to rebuke David. And it's time for David to get right with God. We're going to talk about that this morning, but first let's turn to 2 Samuel 12. David thinking he got away with it. God sends Nathan the prophet to confront him. Page 440 in the Bible in front of you if you're following. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, now something we're going to learn here about confrontation. Uh, how gentle God is and how gentle we should be when we are going to confront someone with their sin. Notice uh, Nathan now is going to come with a story, a parable, rather than just walking in and saying, you're a sinner! You've got to repent. It might not be received too well from people. Listen how God handles David with Nathan. He says there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except a little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it and grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. 
It was like a daughter to him. How many of you have pets that are like family? Yes, you understand that. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the land and the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives in your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if this had not been too little, I would have given you even more. Why you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with a sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to the one who is close to you. And he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because by doing this you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and spent the nights lying in sackcloth on the ground. The elders of a household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused, and he would not eat any food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. David's attendants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought while the child was still living, he wouldn't listen to us when we spoke to him. How can we tell him now that the child is dead? He may do something desperate. David noticed that his attendants were whispering among themselves, and he realized that the child was dead. Is the child dead? he asked. Yes, they replied. He is dead. Then David got up from the ground after he had washed, put on his lotions, and changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and at his request, they served him food, and he ate. His attendants asked him, Why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept. But now that the child is dead, you get up and you eat. And he answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows, the Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. Then David 
comforted his wife, Bathsheba. And he went up to her and made love to her. She gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon. The Lord loved him. And because the Lord loved him, he sent word through Nathan the prophet to name him Jedidiah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Getting right with God. I want you to listen this morning in case there's anyone here that hasn't taken the necessary steps to get right with God when you mess up and when you blow it big time in your life. Getting right with God. Just some steps that need to be taken, and then we're going to go through this rather rapidly, but four, five, six, seven things that I want to put out in this passage that even people like you and I need to do when we sin, and we know that we've sinned, and we've concealed it. And maybe some sitting here this morning still with a concealed or hidden sin. And I trust that through this message, God will spur you on to come in repentance to him. First of all, God graciously initiates a confrontation. Uh, he steps in when we have sinned, when we have chosen not to go to him. God, and notice I say, graciously comes and confronts us. Uh, we often talk in, in, in our world about intervention, Right? If we have a family member, a friend, a loved one that is caught in a sin and an addiction or the like, and maybe some of you have been part of an intervention, it's really a rebuke. You're confronting someone who doesn't realize that they have a problem. Well, in this case, we find God confronting David. He confronts us, and it's called divine intervention. I don't know why he waited a year before stepping into David's life to say, hey, time to, time to get right with me. I've waited for you long enough. Now's the time. But God graciously comes. When we fail him, God never fails us. He comes to David through Nathan. And I just so appreciate this, this gentle approach that God chose through Nathan. You know what it's like, boys and girls, or those of us who are adults who had to go through some kind of discipline? How people approach you makes a big deal about how you're going to respond. Nathan... You know, if he said the wrong thing at the beginning that really ticked David off, David had the power to kill him. Take this man out. I don't like what he's saying. He comes to him in a very gentle way and rebukes him. And David, of course, as any one of us would have said, what kind of justice is that to this rich man who took the only you that this person had? Death sentence to him. He's got to die. How foolish. And then, of course, those, those words that just ring... Nathan turns to David and says, David, you are the man. I just, I try to imagine when those words are said and after David pretty much self-condemned himself, how David must have felt that moment when there's just silence and he sees this finger really being pointed at him. I'm talking about you, David, this, this terrible terrible thing you did a year ago and how your sins stacked up against you and you still carry them. You're the man. I want to praise God with you first this morning for divine intervention because you know as well as I do when we sin and if we don't bring it to God in a timely fashion, God in his love and in his mercy is going to come to you and he's going to come to me. And he says, I know you're trying to keep this hidden, this thing hidden. But you know what? It's time to complain. 
You left me, but I have not left you. I can. Next week, I'm going to be talking about the God who has mercy and full of mercy and loving kindness. I'm coming to you because it's time to get right with me. A gracious intervention, a rebuke, even if you will. In fact, John would tell us later in Revelation 3 God rebukes those that he loves. So let me say this morning. If someone ever approaches you, it might be an elder in the church, it might be a friend of yours, if someone comes with some form of discipline or confrontation, child, if it's a parent, how you respond makes all the difference in the world. But they're coming to you because they love you, just as God loves us. And God says, I am going to rebuke those whom I love. Maybe there's someone here this morning or listening online that you're still carrying an unconfessed sin. And it's been weighing you down. And some of you may have been carrying it for a year or even longer. You've kind of gotten used to it, but you still, almost every day, almost every day, it's in your mind. You're carrying it with you. And that weight of guilt just gets heavier and heavier and heavier as the days go by and even as the years go by. I'm always amazed at all these dead, this deathbed confessions that people have. Kind of the last thing that they want to do before they leave this world is get it off their chest. Some people carry things their whole life that if they would have just confessed earlier, their life would have been better. That's what the weight of guilt does. And maybe there's a confessed sin in someone here this morning. And maybe through this passage, God is confronting you. He says, I've waited long enough for you to come to me. You may think you got away with it. And you may fool a lot of people, but you can't fool me. Right? Because I'm God. And I know every secret that you have. You cannot hide it from me. And God may be pointing the finger at you this morning or at me this morning and saying, listen, this is a divine intervention. It's time to deal with their sin. It's time to get right with God. Now, getting right with God, as we find out as we continue to go through this chapter, it has everything to do with facing consequences. In fact, For most of us, that's why we don't want to confess it in the first place. There are consequences. Boys and girls, when you're naughty at home and you think you can hide it from mom and dad, but they find out, what's going to happen? Are they going to come to you and say, oh, Marissa, you know, yeah, you were naughty. Uh, You shouldn't have pushed your sister or, 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 hit, or, hit, or pushed your brother on the floor, but that's okay. You know what? Because you did that, I love you so much. Because of that, these are the consequences. Uh, you don't have to eat spinach for a month. Good deal, right? You don't have to eat spinach for a month. That's okay. In fact, not only that, I'm going to give you extra money. You can have two desserts tomorrow instead of one. Wouldn't that be great? But that's not the kind of consequences we're talking about. When, when God comes in and points out a sin to us, he said, listen, there are consequences. There's punishment. More than likely, your parents would say something like, you're going to eat spinach tonight and tomorrow and the next day. As a form of punishment, they might say, Some of, how many of you have a timeout sometimes? You have a timeout, go sit in a chair or a corner? Because you need to be disciplined, because you're naughty. Or, or, or maybe uh, if you're older, yeah, this curfew thing that you have, yeah, guess what? It just got longer, earlier. Instead of 11, it's going to be 9. In fact, guess what? You're going to be grounded for about, what do you say when you're an angry parent? A year! Doesn't work, does it? 
when you, when you fail someone, when you fail God, there are consequences to your behavior. Notice Nathan comes to David. Look what he says, verses 10, 11, and 12. First, in verse 10, he says, David, because of your sin, the sword is never going to depart from your house. Your life with your children and your family and with your kingdom is going to be one of bloodshed and violence. Read the stories of David. You'll find that to be true. Verse 11, David, calamity is going to be in your household. Remember I read that section about how how, uh, those close to you are going to be taking your wives and sleeping with them. That's exactly what Absalom did, one of David's sons. Someone close to you is going to be taking your wives. And then in verse 14, Owen David, this son that you love, this baby that you love, it's a year old now, uh, that baby is going to die. Why would God take it out on the kid? That's what I first of all think when I read that. He didn't do anything. You see, your sin affects everyone, not just you. But God knew how much they loved this child already, and he says, a result of your sin, here's another consequence. But we got to hear this because we have to understand. When we sin and when we conceal our sins, when we hide our sins and try to keep them a secret, the longer you hide them, listen, the greater the consequences. Have you found that to be true? Boys and girls, adults, when we sin before God or someone else, It's best just to admit it, confess it right away, because you have found out in your life, have you not, the longer you wait, the worse things are going to get once it comes out. Because as Numbers says, as I said last week, your sins are going to find you out. It eventually is going to come out, and you have to deal with it. The kind of consequences we face when we sin in any number of ways, you're you're going to lose your good reputation. Well, there's time to maybe get it back. But you lose it initially. If it was an affair or an adultery like David had, you could lose your spouse, you could lose your family, you could lose your friends, you could lose your church friends and even your church. Uh, If it was embezzlement, I've worked with any number of members from congregations who lost their jobs because they stole some of the company's money. Other consequences people face when it comes to, to, to marriage problems and the issue, and if it was their fault per se, they deal with things like child support, alimony, sexual diseases, Community service, and how about this? Jail time. Oh, yeah, but wait a minute. If I confess my sin, I, I should be free of the consequences. No, you won't be free of the consequences. You're still going to need to confess it. But part of sinning is dealing with the consequences of the moral behavior, the bad moral behavior that you had, and you need to accept the consequences that come. Any unconfessed sin is going to result in consequences. And it cost David plenty, as it does us. Now, with that, we notice as this passage goes on, getting right with God means that we need to take personal responsibility for our sin. This is a matter of confessing your sin. Um, You know, it's easy to blame people. I think I mentioned that last week. We always want to deflect it off of us and put it on somebody else. Unconfessed sin. Well, yeah, well, yeah I, I did do that. But let me tell you why I did it. It was because, remember, if, if Bathsheba wasn't uh, bathing herself almost nude out there in public, I wouldn't have done it. It's not my fault. It's her fault. Or whatever sin we commit, and boys and girls do this as well. We pass it on to a brother. Or he hit me first. Or he hit me second. Or he pushed me down. There's this matter of understanding not to blame not to point the finger at somebody else, 
Not, but to take personal responsibility. David did the right thing finally. He should have done this a year ago. But finally, he got caught. No surprise, your sons will find you out. David takes responsibility. Notice he doesn't blame anybody else but himself. He says in verse 13, I've sinned. Not notice, he doesn't say, I've sinned against Bathsheba, even though he did. He said, he goes right to the big, big deal. I sinned against God. I did a really bad thing. And, um, you know, he would later write when he wrote Psalm 32. don't know exactly when he wrote this, but it could have been soon after, months after. He says in Psalm 32, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. I didn't do a very good job of it for a year, but now I, I will confess them to the Lord. And this is what God expects of us as well. Oh, it's so easy when we have a moral failure to blame others and to point the finger that God has pointed at us to somebody else. Isn't it true? Yeah, it's not really me. And if, or if this wasn't the circumstance, or if that wasn't the circumstance, it wouldn't have happened. It's so easy for us to pass the blame. And what God is calling us to do as well this morning through this scripture is to say, listen, uh, you've got to step up to the plate. If you're still carrying an unconfessed sin, welcome to the club. We've all done it or are doing it, some of us right now. Welcome to the club. What you need to do before one more day passes, this very day, is to take personal responsibility and let people know and let God know of your sin so that it can be dealt with. Step up to the plate. I've sinned. Confess it. And part of that confession, if it's done properly, is going to be followed by repentance. And this is, this is a really big deal. And in fact, it needs to follow confession because confession alone is not enough. Now, earlier in, in, in 2 Samuel, we learned about King Saul. In fact, in, in, 2 Samuel, in 1 Samuel 15, verse 24, Saul said the exact same words as David said here. When he was confronted by a prophet, Samuel, he said, Saul said, oh, I'm sinned. I've sinned. Okay, same thing that David said, I've sinned. But what, what Saul did after he said that, he never had a change of heart or mind or will or action. He kept on doing what he was doing. That's not true repentance. How David did a better job is David not only took responsibility, but he practiced what repentance was, what David did. And we see this by the rest of his life. Even though he had another major sin later at the end, David had a change of heart and mind and behavior. He meant it, and he was going to change his life because of it. This is why he was a man after God's own heart, you see. That's what God's looking for. He knows we're going to sin as his children. And a man after God's own heart, a woman after God's own heart, once they confess their sins when they're confronted, they're going to ask the Holy Spirit to work in them to help them grow in Christ and become more like Christ. A change of heart. Godly sorrow. Paul speaks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 when he says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. You may have confessed your sin. You may have said, Lord, I've sinned against you. The second thing you've got to check into right away is saying, is it going to show visibly in your life? Or are you going to repeat the same sin over and over and over? You repeat sins often. But if you continue, continue to do it and live by it and thinking I've done everything, repentance means, Lord, give me the power. I'm too weak of my own to, to hold myself even for a moment. Question and answer 127 of our catechism. I'm too weak by myself, but can you give me the power? Change my life. What is that song? Change my heart of God. Make it ever new. Change my heart of God. 
may it be like you. And may it show in my life a certain change of, of behavior and actions. Now, if you do that, once confronted, if there's the confession, if there's the repentance, God has really good news for us this morning and good news for you. It's the same good news that came to David. It, it was one word, uh, forgiveness. Let's let that sink in for a moment because somebody needs that this morning and, and, and is kind of scared if they really confess, if they fess up to a sin in their life that, that something terrible is going to happen and God will never receive them or, or a friend may never receive you again. There's this thing called forgiveness. Nathan to David in verse 13 says, David, the Lord has taken away your sin. Boy, did David need to hear that. The Lord has taken away your sin. And then he says this, you're not going to die, David. Why would Nathan say that? <clears throat> Pretty easy. The Old Testament, Levitical laws required that if you committed adultery, you are put to death. That was the law. There could be one more reason why David didn't want to fess up, right? Boy, if I fess up, they're going to, I have to be stoned. They're going to take my life. Another reason, possibly, that he kept it covered up. David, you're not going to die. David would later write about this whole idea of the Lord taking away his sin. Again, in Psalm 32, verse 1, Blessed is the one whose sins are covered. David's now reflecting on this, this terrible thing that happened in his life. He took responsibility for it. And now he's living it with that, just that blessedness of God and understanding. My sin is covered. And also later, in Psalm, in, in Psalm 32, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord because you forgave the guilt of my soul. And then that psalm we read this morning, as far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed my transgressions from me. David, I have taken away your sin. I've just not taken away. I throw all these sins, including ours, into the depths of the sea, never more having to come back. Somebody here has got to hear this good news this morning. But doesn't it do something inside of you when someone says, you're forgiven? You're forgiven. Don't carry the weight of that guilt or the weight of that sin. If you confess it, you're forgiven. Ephesians 2 Paul's writing to people who understood being in sin as well, and he says, listen, we have a God who is rich in mercy. What are you waiting for? Why don't you confess? Yes, there are consequences. But we have a God who is rich in mercy, and he takes you back in every time. We will fail him. He will never fail us. We break covenant with him. He never breaks covenant with us. He comes back and receives us again. If this, of course... <clears throat> points for the necessity of the cross. We sang about the cross during the offertory. Uh, forgiveness of sins required the shedding of blood. The Old Testament, they had their sacrificial practices of shedding blood for forgiveness. God says for us, and in fact, the same blood that would be shed for all the saints in the Old Testament, the blood of Jesus Christ is going to forgive sins. Without the shedding of blood, the scriptures say there is no forgiveness of sins. This is why the cross is such a big deal in the Christian faith. And why you've got to embrace the cross, and even more than the cross, Jesus Christ, the one who was on the cross. Your sins are forgiven. 
What does the Bible say? John says if we confess our sins, God is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. He's able to do that, not because you got better or because we, we hit the mark that God wanted us to. He, he did that because Jesus met the mark perfectly for us. You've got to stop looking at yourself and thinking, I can do something to get myself right with God. I'm going to talk more about that next week, Lord willing. God did something so that I could get right with him. And the only way to get right with him is confessing and repenting and pleading and recognizing that Jesus died for my sin. And only through the precious blood of Jesus I can be made right with God. Without Christ, no forgiveness. With Christ, forgiveness. And then finally, I'm, I'm so glad it, it didn't end there. Because we wonder what the future is going to be like. We wonder how the rest of our life is going to be like. Are people going to receive me back? Is God going to continue to receive me? Or are they going to see me just as, as, as garbage and trash and everybody going to kind of stay away from me? You've you got to hear these next two verses as well. God's blessing. This is so unlike most of us. When someone wrongs us, we kind of push people away, don't want to be around them. Uh, you get what you deserve. And friendships, to be fair, friendships can be broken. Families can be broken when we sin against them. But notice how God responds when proper confession and repentance is given. Notice how his blessing comes even. Because you had every right to just push us away. Yeah, you know, you failed me. Get out of here. I'm going to go to somebody else, someone who's going to live a better life than you are. No. Look what God does first with David. He doesn't hold a grudge. He doesn't seek to take revenge. He doesn't seek to say that your history. I made a covenant with David. I made a covenant with you. This, this baptism was a covenant he made this morning. Uh, he'll, I'll be a God to you and to your children after you. God makes covenant and he keeps covenant. Did you notice in verses 24 and 25, God's blessing to David and Bathsheba. He says, oh, by the way, that, that son that I had to take away from you, I'm going to bless you with another son. Solomon, next, as, as coming alongside of Christ, the wisest person who probably ever lived. I'm going to bless you with this man called Solomon. <clears throat> In fact, Nathan had to go to David and said, oh, I would rather have you call him, what? You remember what I read? Jedediah, right? Why? Uh, because the Lord loves him. Jedediah. The Lord loves him. He is loved by the Lord. What you maybe don't know is he did not only bless them with Solomon, but 1 Chronicles 3, verse 5 tells us that David blessed, God blessed David and Bathsheba with three more sons after that. Does God forgive and forget? Does God never bring up the past like we do with each other, with spouses or with friends or with family members or people we work with? We bring up things of the past and, yeah, but remember. He will remember our sins no more. He doesn't hold us against them as he did here with David. And the good news for us this morning, and you need to hear this, because Justin, think you say, well, if I confess, I'm, I'm going to just be out of God's blessing. The reason you are receiving God's blessing is because of your unconfessed sin. That's the big deal. You confess it, you go through the right channels of, of confession and repentance, God will bless you again. You need to hear that. Unconfessed sin, you're, you're living outside of the blessings of God. A confessed sin... God will bless you again. I'd like this uh, prophet Micah when he says, who is a God like you who pardons our sins and forgives us? You have taken all my sins and you threw them in the depths of the sea never, never more to be remembered. I won't bring them up again. We do that with each other. 
we make sure we remind our spouse of the sins that you've had against me 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. We'll never forget. God throws them out into the depths of the sea. The, the, the power of, of a God's blessing to forgive sins and to pardon us and to move on and to bless us. That unconfessed sin, that, that time to get right with God, the confession that we need, the repentance, God's forgiveness being received, and having God bless us again. Somebody here this morning or somebody's listening saying, boy, could I ever use that blessing? You want that blessing? <laughs> maybe now you know what you need to do. And maybe you've been like David. You've been putting off coming clean and fessing up. And maybe this morning God is pointing his finger at you saying, listen, I want to bless you again. Like you've never been blessed before even. But you've got to fess up first. You've got to go to your knees and, and confess. And, and for those who if you're hurt because of your sin, you've got to have a talk with them. And that weight of guilt that you're carrying, you deserve it until you fess up what you've done wrong. We're going to sing in about one minute a song that, that's, that talks about our sins, they are many, but what? His mercy is more. Wow. Our sins can stack up against us. Remember I had those ice cream things going up with all those sins that stacked up against David? Our sins are many. They can be stacked up against us. And we're afraid that our sins could become so many that God would never receive us back. But his mercy, you see, is more. We're going to hear more about that next week, Lord willing, in Psalm 51. Our sins, they are many. Repeat after me. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Father, we thank you for your word. And our sins, they are many. And sometimes, uh, because of how Satan likes to mess with us, we might come to a point where we think you would never receive us back because of the sin or sins in our life. And it's even make us somewhat uh, apprehensive to come to you. And this morning we hear you with a loud voice saying, yes, you do have sin that you've got to deal with, but come to me because of that. Don't walk away in the other direction. Don't think you got away with it. It's going to eventually come up. Thank you for your great loving kindness and that your mercy is far greater than any sin in our life. And may that be enough to, to draw someone here this morning back into relationship with you because 